0: I big I'm a big believer in alignment, flow states. I mean, these seem honestly, if you told me all these words like two years ago, I would have rolled my eyes at you. But <laughs> now that I have studied this, I'm like, this is this is what I'm living. Right? And so I don't have an agent. And I'm, I've done, what, 220 speaking engagements in the last two years with no agent. I pay no commission to anyone. There is no publicity. I'm on no speaking bureau anywhere. Um, I have had the blessing, as you read in the introduction, of working with prime ministers and presidents and changemakers of all sorts and billionaires and everybody. And it's not by effort. I have not put effort into it. It doesn't mean I haven't worked hard for it, but I'm not bashing my head against the wall. I feel like event emceeing was meant to be. It is the fullest version of myself as I know me right now. It is when I truly come alive. It is me at my peak, in the zone, as they used to say back then. And it happened because it was meant to be. But it came through discovery and it came through trying and it came through uh, failing along the way. But being willing to give myself another chance and another chance, another chance. But then at some point, I'd say maybe like career number 12 at the age of 30 or 31 is when I got my first official MCN gig. And it's been an amazing ride ever since.
2: How you day? How you day? That was the voice of Dan Ram. Start now. Start simple. That's the theme of this episode. And then, like I did grew up in multiple countries. He grew up as you know, the son of a, of a diplomat. And a lot of his experiences about the world were shaped by what he saw and what he was exposed to. And I think this is an interesting, introspective episode about the world that we've come to create based on what we believe to be absolutely true. Sometimes what we believe to be absolutely true isn't absolutely true. So, how do you get comfortable sitting on the fence and understanding the gray and appreciating nuance? Well, you're gonna to wanna to stay tuned for this episode. Hope you take some notes and visit his website. As always, everything will be in the show notes. Until next time, enjoy the episode. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today's guest is Dan Ramp. Dan is an event MC five-time TEDx speaker, I said five times, five-time TEDx speaker and executive coach. Dan Ram ignites the stage as an event MC and speaker at over 100 events a year, hosting changemakers like President Barack Obama, billionaire founders like Sir Richard Branson, and record-breaking athletes like Formula One champion Nico Rosberg, Grammy-winning artists and celebrities. He works on four continents, I grew up on four continents, And he also works with college campuses as well as with people that are in parliament and in-house innovation. He's just someone who is diverse with the range of people he works with, but also diverse in his mission. He believes that we are uniquely suited and uniquely tapped to make the world a better place. And he has this gift of bringing that
0: energy out of us, whether we think we have it or not. Welcome to the show. Wow. Wow. Thank you for the introduction. As an event MC, usually I'm doing the introductions. So this was so fun to hear you introducing me, and thank you for having me on the show, man.
2: Well, thank you for the story that you've built you know about your life. It's very interesting because I was on your show a few weeks ago, and I remember uh-huh. the connection we had as we were dealing with uh, you know, with the pre-show gatherings, as we say, and figuring out what the theme of the episode would be. But one of the things that I connected with you on is the fact that you're very learned, you're very cultured, but you're also very curious. And for the audience, I would love you to explain how your curiosity got opened up at such a young age due to the way you traveled.
0: Great question. Man, you're starting at a very high level here, man. All right. Curiosity (laughs) for me was not a choice because I could take nothing for granted. Contexts, houses schools friends cultures foods weather everything changed every two years or every three years so i was forced deep end into navigating oh why do women cover up in this country or oh how come we can't go in the water and swim in this country or oh there's a music program here, man, I better learn an instrument. So like I, everything kept changing. And I think because of the change, I either had to give up on life, which I was not going to do and go, screw it. I'm just going to do what I know and stick with it. Or I'm, or I was, and which is what I chose, engage, engage with the present. Now worth noting, this is the world pre-social media, pre-Google. I sound like I'm super old, but <laughs> it wasn't like the curiosity could start before I showed up. It literally could only happen when I showed up. So we'd move from, say, India to Zimbabwe, like in Southern Africa. And even now, I mean, there's a decent amount documented about Zimbabwe, but certainly none of this was available back then. So we'd just show up and be like, oh, this is how houses are here. Oh, this is how people greet themselves here. So yeah, curiosity was just a big part of my childhood because I refused to hold on to the very little that was consistent. But rather to engage with everything that was changing and everything that was evolving around me. And that curiosity has kept me going even professionally because things continue to change and things continue to evolve. And I don't want to be left behind. I want to keep being in the present. Choosing to engage and finding comfort and change. That's an interesting, you
2: know, option to go with because you're right. You do have the other option, which is to, you know, wallow and understand that, hey, these changes that are happening might be too fast for me, and I just feel overwhelmed and I don't want to do anything. You know, you could be paralyzed, you could have chosen to just freeze up and not do anything else. So, it's such a wonderful, um, I guess, awareness for you to realize that the idea of going with the flow and accepting that change is a constant is, is, uh, you know, that was, that was such a wonderful awareness in your head because that's that's a gift, and I can tell you that from growing up in a similar way that you did. I, you know, I've grown up with other people, grew up in that way. And yeah. it's not always the choice that we make.
0: That is true. And I do believe in being authentic. And what I mean by that is aligning with personality traits and personal values and things like that. And so, for example, my sister, right? So we were born in the exact same home and had the same parents and most of the same life although we had different friends and, you know, all those different teachers and things, but mostly similar. But my sister has chosen to find herself a wonderful man and to settle down, to get a lovely home, to get a dog. They're in Ecuador, uh, far away from the rest of us. Uh, I split my time mostly in Europe and the Middle East. and My parents are in Asia. But uh, she, she has chosen to find routine and normality that was her response to the constant change is let me enjoy like really enjoy long term the things that i have right now and my attitude has been let me hold loosely the things that are in my hands knowing that there'll be new things that i will possess and other things i'll have to let go of so siblings very close to each other, but very different responses to the same situation, but she's true to who she is and she's thriving in that situation. And I'm true to who I am and I'm thriving in mine. So I'm not, uh, it's not like a a mantra, like, you know, let go of the past, engage with the present. Uh, Otherwise you're gonna be a loser and left behind. It's more like, all right, find out what is the best way you can be authentic. And for me, it was be curious, ask questions, engage, choose every, choose to learn from every opportunity. Choose to let go of what was dear in order to find the new things that will be dear, that will be precious. That'll be the memories that you will then share in the next iteration of yourself.
2: Well, I'm curious then, Dan Ram, was there a moment where you had, I don't know, an identity crisis, or where you had a moment of conflict within yourself because you were either unsure of how to present yourself, unsure of whether the world would accept you the way you were. And if there was that moment, how did you decide what to do? Because, I mean, do, hearing you talk, it sounds like you had a pretty clear sense of who you are from a very young age. So I, I wonder if there was a conflict internally before.
0: I'm so glad you asked that question because I think it only hit me right now when you answered when you asked that question that, I maybe neglect sharing the vulnerabilities of the early days because I'm in this beautiful place of self-recognition and self-love, I maybe trivialize the journey that is taken to get here. And now when you, as soon as you ask that question, there was a sudden flood of memories of severe identity crisis. Honestly, everything from the name. So the name you call me Dan Ram is the name I invented for myself about two and a half years ago. But most countries, I actually changed my names. Uh, and so some countries is known as Danny, some was known as Joe because Joe is my first name. Some was known as D Ram, some I was known as JD. Like it kept changing, and part of that was me trying to figure out who I was. Like every name almost had a slight difference in personality because i could start with a clean slate right this is the world before personal branding so it's not like people could look me up and make an impression of who i was i would really show up and that initial eye contact handshake or a high five was the first impression there was no first impression before that and so i would essentially create a new self a new first impression every time uh just i mean I wasn't entirely schizophrenic, but I think it's uh, it showcases a little bit of the trying to discover who I was, like who I truly was. And it was everything from the name, to the personality, to the kind of friends I had. In some countries, I had great friends. In other countries, I was a complete loner. In some countries, studies were the most important thing. In others, music was the most important thing. But I think it was this constant journey of discovery. But as part of that, yes, there was identity crisis, with just me, let alone like me figuring me out, let alone other people trying to figure me out, and that probably was most felt when I moved to the U.S. Because prior to that, as a third culture kid growing up with other third culture kids, as a, a diplo brat, <laughs> as we are known, mm-hmm. growing up with mm-hmm. other diplo brats and UN kids, international business kids. Our difference was our commonality. And so between ourselves, you know like my Japanese best friend who spoke fluent French but could not speak a word of English, but my French friend who could only speak German but didn't like it was like all complicated but that's that's how we knew we were the same is by our difference. And so until then we were comfortable in that. And when I went to the US it was the first time that Others felt the need to put labels on me. Like, I don't think I recognized I was Indian or brown until I went to the US. And all of a sudden, because of my skin color, people are like, You're brown. And I'm like, what does that mean? Uh, I get it. Like, this is the skin I've always had, but brown comes with certain preconceptions. They're not just saying that's my skin color. There are certain expectations of brown. And then because of my accent, they uh wanted to put me under the category of a Indian. American, of which there are millions of Indian Americans. But that was my I'd hardly been in the U.S. for what, four days, five days. So I certainly did not relate culturally or emotionally with Indian Americans that sounded like me. Some of them look like me. But culturally, we were as far apart as could be. And so I think the U.S. was when I had like the maybe race crisis and maybe color crisis. But I would say throughout my life, there's been moments, whether it was even with sexuality, you know, being uh, brought up and absolutely loving the idea of God and Christianity and very committed to my faith. But being gay is very complicated. Yeah. And you put that in the mix as well. Uh, and also being gay growing up in predominantly Muslim countries. So I think there were many layers to the identity crisis, whether it was me discovering myself my name, who I was, my personality, my interests to other people discovering what box I should fit in when I never, ever cared about boxes, let alone try to be in one to, you know, more complicated issues. I wouldn't say more complicated issues, but probably more publicized issues like the tension between religion and sexuality. So I'd say yes, many, many years of crisis. I wouldn't say it's all clear, but I'd say there's a lot of principles and routines and values and good people I have around me that have helped me navigate who I am to a place now that I'm far more confident and excited about the person I've become.
2: Wow, wow, you know, I'm glad I asked that question because I just, I could feel the floodgates open. But that is so true, you're talking about, you know, coming originally from India, being gay, being a Christian, and I know exactly what you're talking about when people are trying to put you in a box, especially when you you know when you come to America because of um you know the label and, and different things like that. That's a lot, that's <laughs> and a so lot. yeah, I, I mean, I'm, so I'm glad that you you've come to a place of comfort with that. But I know that the people listening who are probably in the same place who are figuring that things out, and whether it's LGBTQ rights, we know that that's not it's not always friendly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I would say, in, in, in you know, in my country, Nigeria, or uh, even in India. And so it, it's it's very interesting for people who feel like they don't have a choice but to hide who they are. And one of the reasons that I like um, your, your essence and your presence is, and especially when I was on your show, is you were very unapologetic about how you show up. And... Whoa. Uh, it, it's, it's such a beautiful thing to observe, you know? And, and the, the next question I have that has to do with that, how do people go about telling their stories? I know you work with several people, so you've done ten x five times. You know, you grew up in a diplomatic family, 10 countries, four continents. In your experience across several countries, countries and cultures, what can people do, you know, maybe there are steps, to really stay true to themselves, and connect that to their passions.
0: Okay, so confession, I think you are a master storyteller. And so I feel slightly embarrassed offering my thoughts on storytelling, especially when I look at your website and the way you communicate. Uh, It's amazing, I love it, man. So congrats to you. Whoa, thank
2: you. (laughs) But don't put, don't downplay yourself, sir, you know.
0: (laughs) <laughs> to do what so, you do is also storytelling. Please, you got it. <laughs> so I guess okay. Let's let's give this a shot. Um, step one: discover your story, and that mm-hmm. probably is the longest part of the whole thing. Yeah. Is and the discovery is complicated because it is so personal. It's so intimate, and everybody's process for discovery is so different. So for me, it was saying yes to as many different opportunities as possible. So when someone says, "Dan, can you, uh, you know, help out with a beach cleanout?" I was like, "Sure, why not?" I don't even know what tools are required. I don't even know what beach. I don't even know what a cleanup involves. But why not? Yes. So I was like, "Dan, we've got student council. Would you like to run for something?" Yes. Why not? I'm not the coolest kid. I don't have leadership skills. I don't have swag. But why not? Yes. And so I've applied that not just at school level when. I think some of the early discoveries are happening, but even now on a professional level, right? So context for those who listen to this in the future, we're currently in the midst of a lockdown because of a pandemic. I have built a brand based on being a charismatic, energetic MC on a stage. There are no events and there are no stages happening right now. But when people tell me, Dan, do you think you could coach us on charisma, creativity and energy? I'm like, yes, why not? I didn't have time to do it before, but I sure do now. Or they go, Dan, could you host a virtual conference versus a physical conference? I'm like, yes, let's go for it. So I think I have continually been committed to self-discovery. And my method is saying yes of actively stepping out of the comfort zone, testing my boundaries, and being willing to fail but never being embarrassed to try. So for me, that is a big part of good storytelling is one discover your story. The second thing I think, and this is the introverted side to me, so I don't know if you have this in you, but I spend a lot of time thinking, reflecting. I love hearing other people compliment and say kind things, but I think I need to hear that for myself from myself first. And because I'm an introvert, I'm not seeking other people's applause or uh, approval. It's more, I need to commit to my process of loving myself? Do I enjoy my own time? Do I reflect sufficiently about the activities that I do and the people I hang out with? And for me, self-acceptance and owning my story is an important second step. Uh, otherwise, what happens is you throw a bunch of stuff out there and you go, this could be me. This could be me. This. Do you love this part of me? Do you love this part of me? Will you pay me for this part of me? And I just don't think that ends up well um and so i'd say the second step is own your story so step one is discover your story second step is own your story and then third step would be to test your story and essentially like a stand-up comedian i have shared different elements of my story and i've watched and observed how do people respond so of the different stories my near-death experience with a wild lion when I was 16 in the heart of Africa is the story that gets the wide eyes and the, what, that happened to you? Um, and so that's a story I use quite a bit. And so I te- like a good comedian, stand-up comedian, I test all the different sto- parts of my stories to go, what is a value? What is relevant? Where can people benefit uh, from what I'm sharing? And then I think once that's done, uh, the fourth is then deliver the story. So that was totally made up on the spot. But I would say those are like before you get to delivering and being a TEDx speaker or uh, getting on stage or even demanding attention, whether it's in the form of a podcast, a Instagram post or anything. I think it really has to start with discovery, then own it, then test it and only then deliver it. My goodness!
2: And you were telling me you're not a good storyteller. Look at look at this guy.
0: This that was incredible. You just came
2: up with a four-step plan, and do you not. I, I want the audience to really just take in what just happened. Everything he said had to do with story. And anyone that listens to me knows how much of a proponent of storytelling I am. Because many people say exactly what you initially said. I don't, you know, the storytelling thing. But the fact of the matter is, there's stories all around us. We tell each other stories every day. We tell ourselves stories every day. And the most important thing is when you truly own your mm-hmm. story or the stories about the world that you want to tell, it becomes a very easy process. I'm going to say it very again, very easy process for you to test it and be okay with the failures. Because mm. many people many people st- start testing their stories without first owning who they are, and then they start to get really affected by the the. You know, the, 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 I don't know, potential criticisms or the, you know, the the negative feedback. And that becomes this negative self-fulfilling.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role.
1: Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: Prophecy, with which you start telling yourself false stories. Very important, especially if you are trying to be a change maker to know what you wanted to say and who you are and your comfort level with, with with that because you know many times the world might not be ready for you until you know they've seen enough <laughs> they've seen enough of you and then they can say okay fine I guess Dan Rams here to stay let's just uh, yeah. let's just let's just that's him bring him on <laughs> yeah know, so it's so interesting wow thank you for that. that that was a beautiful way to to put that okay wow okay. Then you decided that you were gonna be an event MC and look, you've done five TEDx talks. No one does five TEDx talks without some expertise. What have you learned the most from being an event MC?
0: All right. So first let me correct something. I never decided to be an event MC. It happened.
1: Oh okay. I'm a big
0: I big I'm a big believer in alignment, flow state. I mean, these seem honestly, if you told me all these words like two years ago, I would have rolled my eyes at you but (laughs) now that i have studied this i'm like this is this is what i'm living right and so i don't have an agent and i am i've done what 220 speaking engagements in the last two years with no agent i pay no commission to anyone there is no publicity i'm on no speaking bureau anywhere um i have had the blessing as you read in the introduction of working with prime ministers and presidents and change makers of all sorts and billionaires and everybody and it's not by effort. I have not put effort into it. It doesn't mean I haven't worked hard for it, but I'm not bashing my head against the wall. I feel like event emceeing was meant to be. It is the fullest version of myself as I know me right now. It is when I truly come alive. It is me at my peak, in the zone, as they used to say back then. And It happened because it was meant to be, but it came through discovery and it came through trying and it came through uh, failing along the way, but being willing to give myself another chance and another chance, another chance. But then at some point, I'd say maybe like career number 12 at the age of 30 or 31 is when I got my first official MCN gig. And it's been an amazing ride ever since. So now I'm 34. So it's been like two, three years of doing this. So I I did not choose to be an MC. I did not train to be an MC. I did not get a communications degree. I have an economics degree from Yale. I have an MBA degree from Trinity College in Ireland. I want to be a consultant. I want to work in some big four company doing accounting um, or consulting, not this. And yet this was always meant to be. So that's just a small, a small side note, um, just for anyone who thinks that, you know, this was like the goal, it was on the vision board and I looked at it every day and I spoke it into my life and it happened. No, but I do think that in all my work in the UN, in radio advising governments and all the different things I did, I, this was, this was building up. This was a seed that was meant to come to fruit. And it did, it was always meant to be a tree and I gave it a chance, and it happened. But by sitting in different soil, to keep playing with analogy, and uh, allowing the seed to germinate where it was always meant to be. But it was it was not something intentional. Uh, that's the small aside over there. The question you asked me, <laughs> and I'm sorry to have digressed there. No, but the question, hey, context is, is the, important. The question you asked me is what I've learned along the way, correct?
2: Yeah, and what have you learned from, yeah, from being in the MC? I'm sure you've seen, so many great speakers, but yeah, you know, I don't know if you have interesting observations that you can share.
0: Sure. Um, it's about them, it's not about you. I find that mm-hmm. the best speakers and MCs are those that are 100% committed to the education, entertainment, and value creation for the audience, not for themselves. I immediately have an aversion for those who see a dollar sign on a speaking gig or who see a chance to self-promote or to uh, sell a product or service, rather than going, what is the pain point of the audience? Why are they even in this room? And how in these 20 minutes or 30 minutes can I just love them so much, fill them, make them feel so much more satisfied and fulfilled about their lives than 20 minutes before I got on stage, right? So I, and, and so for me, I'd say the first thing is great speakers are those who think about the audience, not about themselves. Uh, second thing, which I know you'll love, storytelling. Storytelling over <laughs> statistics, any day. PowerPoint slides, boring. Graphs, all right, insightful. But after the fifth one, boring. Uh, you know, any kind of data points and nerding or geeking over stats, It's just gonna be forgotten. But stories, people connect to stories. We're human beings. Uh, We, according to some authors, like, uh, what's his name, Yuval Harari Noah? I probably got his name right. You know, his big, uh, one of his foundational truths is we would not have got to this level of civilization without storytelling. And so it's so ingrained in our biology, in our chemistry, to love and connect with stories. And so speakers that can Weave good stories and I think are far more successful than those who just throw stats out. That's the second. Third, people remember how you make them feel more than what you said. Invariably, after a speaking gig, a week after a speaking gig, a month after an event, a whole year after people have encountered me, the thing they'll remember the most is, Dan, your energy, Dan, you were just on fire, Dan. Your eyes were just so alive and you were constantly smiling. That's what they remember. And if I ask them, what were the three top tips I gave for you as an entrepreneur? They're like, well, I think the first one was this. And did you say this for the second one? It's not that they don't care about what I said, but people always remember how you make them feel more than what you say. And so just as much as you map out your content, I will challenge you to map out the emotional journey that you want to bring your audience through because that's gonna last much longer than the key points of your talk. Um, yeah. Let's stop there. Those are three three that kind of stood out to me. I love that. That reminds me of that great Maya Angelou quote, and I, I always
2: butcher it, but it, it the summary is people remember how you make them feel. And if you go on stage with that in mind, you know what can I give the audience? How can I make them feel? As opposed to how much am I making from this event? You're so right. There's a different energy because people yes. will feel that. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've been at events where you probably the highest build speaker, where most people are are excited to come from, isn't the one that left the audience with the biggest impact, and people oh. might have been surprised. Yeah, and they're like, "Whoa, well, that's the stories like that. that I have." <laughs> exactly. I can imagine. I'm only. See, I was only guessing there, but I've heard enough stories where people people feel. You know, cheapen or you know, take it for granted or that person just mailed it in or that person wasn't who I expected. And you can tell that there wasn't an element of presence there. And everything you said brings people to be present with the audience. You know, even if you're given a you know, a keynote that you give a hundred times a year, the Mm. idea of you just staying in that moment, being with that audience and understanding that there's a different
0: need is so important because it will be felt. Absolutely. My my dad and I were having this conversation because dad loves speaking. He's an incredible mentor. He loves preaching as well in churches. And uh, we were, I was doing a Q&A with a college group in India and they were asking these questions after my keynotes and I was answering. And one of the things he said is like, Dan, how come you don't share more about yourself and your background? And I think part of it is a generational thing as well as a cultural thing. In India, credibility and respect is based on accomplishments, right? And so people take the time to lay out their many accomplishments in order to win trust. My attitude is very different. People don't ask questions for me. They ask questions for themselves. They're asking questions so that they can gain, that they can grow. And I want to, I want to offer that. And so I tell my dad, I, I answer questions for them. It's not a platform for me to talk about me. It's an opportunity for me to speak into their lives, to give them something that they can walk away with to get to that next level. In my opinion, that's why they ask questions. I might be wrong on that, but that's that's what I feel uh, mm-hmm. is, and I, I see nothing wrong with that. I think it's a beautiful thing that, that people would take that opportunity to dare to ask a question publicly so that they can grow, and I want to give it to them. So I, I really firmly believe that the more you make it about them and not yourself, the more people will love you and the more they want to connect with you.
2: Yeah. No, that's great. I love that. And, and, and I can see exactly how you got there. That's so beautiful.
0: But I
2: see how you see that. I know through your experience, you know that we can be better and we're primed for connection. But tell me, in your opinion, why do we have as many cultural divides as we do? We we've both shared you know, elements of our identities on your show and my show. But a lot of times... People in power or people in different parts of the world, you know, whether it's your your tribe or your ethnic group, don't really react well to something that's different from them. Why do you <laughs> feel like that's the case?
0: Yeah. Oh man, there are so many layers to this. And I I think some of it starts at a really young age where we're told to fear what is different what does not seem normal? And what is normal after all? When, like who tells someone that they are normal and everyone else is not normal if they don't conform to their, I mean like, maybe you're the odd one. Anyway, I'm already digressing with this uh, question because it's such a a deep question. But I think some of it is the stories that we tell our kids and we tell ourselves when we're young. Second, I don't think we always use the right words. Uh, like Even words like us and them. You know, this whole, like, it's two opposing parties. Why? You know, why is it like our, for example, politically, our party believes this, their party believes that. Are we not talking about the same issue just from different perspectives? So why is it us versus them? So I think sometimes our terminology separates us and causes these divides. I certainly think that politicians, media and people in power intentionally prey on divides as well. So, I don't think it's just kind of storytelling and unintentional things. I think there are people that intentionally play into it and manipulate people based on divides. So I think that's another reason. But I think at our core, it's I think it's a fear to embrace discomfort. Yeah, And yeah. so to try to put yourself in someone else's shoe is uncomfortable. To hear someone's story that you cannot entirely understand may be uncomfortable. To um, even visit a different person's home and accept their family or cultural norms can be uncomfortable. And so I think the fear of embracing discomfort prevents people from truly listening, from truly asking questions, from truly engaging, because it's uncomfortable. And yeah. I realize it's uncomfortable, but the more you get over that, I think the less those divides become apparent.
2: I, I agree, I, I, a lot of people don't know how to react to discomfort, you know?
0: You know I, I know when you were growing
2: up, you had no choice, right? You were <laughs> up, we're moving here, all right, new school, up, New. Yeah, yep, out, this is what I feel. This is what my religious nope, nope, this is still me, and you were you know you were dealing with them, but a lot of people sometimes I, I I notice i don't know if you noticed this too, they almost take it as an offense if you are different from what they expect, and mm. then it be, it becomes about them and, and and then you can really see the visceral reaction because I think sometimes people feel like because of your difference, you might change them or you might force <laughs> them to do something or you are telling them that they've been wrong, even if they have been. Now, if they haven't been wrong, people sometimes don't know how to handle the nuance of, hey, you can
0: be right, and I can be right, and it's okay,
2: <laughs> but yeah, it isn't no, black and white. <laughs> yeah, so far in like this
0: podcast, I have not said anything controversial. I personally don't think this is controversial at all, but yeah. here, here's, a, here's a statement for you. I think there are far less absolute truths than most people think there are. And I think it's absolutely possible to have multiple perspectives, multiple responses to the exact same solution and they can all be right or they could all be wrong. I do not think there is a here versus there, a yes versus no, a black versus white, a right versus wrong. I think absolute truths exist in really like tiny minority cases. And so, I think the quicker you can hold deferring views together and the more comfortable you get straddling the fence, because we always go like, don't sit on the fence. Why? Sit on it. It's got the best view. So get on the fence, straddle the fence and get comfortable sitting there. Play with the gray. Why be black or white? I think as soon as we get more comfortable in the tension, the richer life gets, honestly.
2: I don't think that's controversial at all. At all. I mean, I know people will disagree with that, but it's the truth, because we are 7.5 billion people in the world. The, the idea that almost everyone has to do a certain thing a different way is, I mean, if you really think about it, it is ludicrous, because <laughs> as we're observing with, you know, COVID-19 or, or corona, coronavirus, there are multiple solutions to this. You know, most people would have thought what, like what, the United States is the one with the best and, and quicker solution? That's not the case. And it's different different people from different countries with different approaches that many people would have thought different <laughs> of before that might have, you know, approached it differently. Same sort of thing with business or same sort of thing with relationships. Anything that we hold dear, there are multiple ways to get there. You know, a lot of people train. I, I study sports. I, I, you know I thought I was going to be an athlete growing up. Everyone is working out in their own way, right? The idea of hard work is, is universal. But some work out at night, some work out in the morning, some work out in between classes. And they, what they do is they figure out what their body is. And if they listen to a strict regimen of how to do that, who's to say where they'll be?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Precisely.
1: Yeah. I wholeheartedly.
2: Ah, yeah. uh, Dan Ram. Okay, so what are you up to now? Tell me what tell the audience what you're up to, and how they can connect with you because you're obviously very dynamic. And I know as events are, uh, you know, as the COVID nineteen is letting up, you're going to be full force again. So, what's next?
0: What I'm up to is pursuing my mission. My mission has always been to help people start now, start simple. That's the goal. That's the dream. Everything I do is just an avenue to get there. So. When we were not going through the pandemic, my method, my avenue, my vehicle to connecting with people was events, big tech events, hosting these events, speaking at these events. And I love it. I absolutely, absolutely love it. I thrive in those circumstances. But really what makes me fulfilled is coming back home with the DMs and the messages and the phone calls from people going like, Dan, that conversation sparked this idea. Dan, you helped me unblock this challenge in my life and now i can actually chase the dream that's always been the goal to help people to start now and start simple with the resources you have with the dreams you have right now with the knowledge you have right now how can you take that next step in the right direction during COVID 19 and the pandemic we're in obviously i cannot meet people so i'm doing virtual coaching as opposed to physical coaching Obviously, I cannot host physical conferences, so I'm doing Zoom and Skype conferences rather than big arenas or conference centers. Uh, But the mission is still the same, help people to start now and start simple. So really for anybody that is curious or aspiring to see more of life, to see more of their dreams realized, to have a richer life and to transform an area, a segment of their existence, and you're curious, what's the next step? Come talk to me because that's what excites me. And that's what I commit my time to on social media. I'm always creating stories um, and always creating vlogs, tons and tons of free content. It's all around how do you transform your mind? How do you transform your body? How do you transform your life? That's what I'm after. Help people start now, start simple. Start now,
2: start simple. Dan Ram is about making sure you live your life to the fullest in every facet of it. It's not just physical, it's not just emotional, it's not just financially, it's everything. And uh, I love that because a lot of times I think we, we speaking of the absolute truths, we think that if we get to one spot in life, everything's gonna be okay. But it's a continuous thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a continuous process, you know? Yes. If you If you haven't done what Dan was talking about, which is discover yourself, test yourself, you know and and continue to do that over and over again and find yourself you are going to have problems when you f- you think you get to that destination that will solve all your sadness because y- you are going to be like why am I not happy i thought this was it <laughs> and so uh if you if you really want to know more how to get in touch with yourself and also how to to figure out how to do that during covid-19 and beyond reach out to him your website is
0: so it's I am Dan mm-hmm. And you can find me on all social media at I am Dan Ram. So I am Dan, D a N Ram. R a M. I am Dan Ram.
2: I am Dan Ram dot I, am Dan, at I am Dan Ram. I'll put that in the show notes and I'll make sure people, uh, you know, have access to it. So please, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, I hope that you were able to listen to this podcast and, and, One, find yourself, discover what what you need to do in order to be more yourself, but also understand the power of showing up, you know, and what that means. You do have a voice. It matters, regardless of what you've been told, maybe by your parents or your friends or someone who doesn't serve you. It's okay to realize that you matter. and, and, And I hope you certainly got a dose of that today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. But I have one question for you. This is the last question I always ask my guests. Uh So, it's my mission statement reframed as a question, which is use your difference to make a difference. So, Dan Ram, how do you use your difference to make a difference?
0: I use my difference to make my difference. How do I do that? I think I do that by helping people confront the next version of themselves because I am not the person I was yesterday other person I was five years ago, I am different from that person. And by living out that difference, I help other people to live out their difference and to embrace their difference.
2: Oh, there you go. Confront the next level of themselves. Thank you so much, sir. This has been a real pleasure.
0: Thank you so much.
2: (laughs) The pleasure is mine. Ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time, use your difference to make a difference.